is diverse. You can just stand up and say it loud and proud. Somebody? There it is. Yeah? Who memorized the verse? Please. Great. That's going to lead me right into my review. So Jesus says there, um, in that same passage in John 15, he says, I think, that, I think that might be the most important passage in the Bible for us to understand what it looks like to walk with him. He said, I, I chose you to bear fruit and to bear fruit that would last. And he says, apart from my spirit, you can do nothing. He means of lasting value. We can do a lot with our talent and skill and smarts, can't we? Yeah. We can build huge organizations and big programs and get a whole lot done. But according to the scriptures, it doesn't have any lasting value. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. But I chose you, he said, to bear fruit that will last. So one of the fruits that he wants to accomplish in our lives is to give us this thing that starts with an M that we talked about last week. What? Maturity. maturity. The surest way to maturity, which should be one of our expectations, because it's our destiny, according to Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of the Son. The surest way to maturity is a word that starts with O. Obedience. Obedience. If you'll just obey Him, you'll become mature, I promise you. But one of the things I want you to be looking out for and I want you to desire is that as we hear his voice and as we obey, you will certainly start developing skills. skills. You will develop skills because he does the same things with his kids over and over because he's like, you've got to learn these skills. What we want to do in this class is push some of those things into your face if you've never confronted them before and go, Dad is going to work on this with you. You might as well expect this. So that when he calls you to do things, you see somebody hurting or sick and you, and you think to yourself, I'm supposed to do something about that. I know that I am, but I don't, I, I, nobody's ever told me that that's my responsibility before. Well, when we study the laying on of hands, you'll see it's all of our responsibility to do that. All of us, all the time. We're little envoys of the kingdom everywhere that we go. What's a sure way to get deceived? If you really want to get deceived, somebody says, how can I believe a lie? You can tell them there's a sure prescription for it. What, what, what should they do? What? Hear the word and do nothing about it. Sure way to get deceived. Perfect recipe. Ding, 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 gold star. You've got to understand that. You, I mean, you really have to understand that with, with regards to this class. Because if you don't understand that, then you will become proud just by virtue of the stuff that we'll go through. If you don't put it into practice, you're going to be worse at the end than you were at the beginning. So I want you to have that 
fear of God in you. The second question is, how do I know for sure that I'm born again? That's true. Obey. I'm looking for a magic phrase that helps me remember this truth. Was that your memory verse? Oh. Well, you did real good there anyways. I say it's as easy as 1, 2, 3. 1 John 2, 3 says we've come, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. If we obey his commands. How do I know that I'm born again? We, we all deal with that question. If you haven't dealt with that question, you haven't been born again very long. Because the enemy will come whisper that into your ear. And my response to that is not, well, I, I, I give. I give money. I, I've had some nice experiences. It's, well, he told me what to do. And I did it. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. I obey him. Okay. We've got a lot to get through tonight, so I'm going to try to be as good a boy as possible and walk you right through this thing. Starting at the top, God is in the process of restoring true biblical salvation to his church. And I contend that we've been sold a bill of goods on what being saved is. There's a Greek word. I'm not going to kill you with foreign words. Um, but I want you to know this word. There's a Greek word, and the word is sozo. Sozo, which we translate saved or salvation. Everywhere in the New Testament you see the word saved or salvation, the word that's used is sozo. And that word, which we translate saved, really means three things together. It means saved, and healed and delivered. Deliver. Those all together is what happens with salvation. So, um, uh, the scripture says Jesus has come to be the savior of the world. What it really says is he's come to be the savior, healer, and deliverer of the world. In Ephesians 2, when it says there's no other name by which we can be saved, what it really says is there's no other name by which we can be saved, healed, and delivered. Guess which two of these three modern churches punted to the curb? Healed and delivered. We believe in the save me in the sweet by and by in some sort of metaphysical sense. But healing me now and delivering me from my foes now, we don't have a good understanding of that. We've got to re-own this basic biblical truth to walk into what God has for us. That Jesus came to save us, heal us, and deliver us. And he came, to quote a verse we used last week, he came um, to save us to the uttermost. To the uttermost. That means completamente, as we say in Espanol. Okay, the benefit of Jesus' death and resurrection for those who believe it is total, I would like for you to circle the word total, total 
salvation, healing, and deliverance. Again, God is restoring this to his church, which has largely jettisoned the healing and deliverance part, and also the ability to stand against, oppose, and defeat the enemy is imperative to those who seek to walk with the Spirit. That's because there is this continuum between deliverance, which is him saving me from my foe, and warfare, which is me actively opposing my foe and dealing with it myself. You can't get healed and saved and delivered by him and not learn some, some skills of warfare. The more that you get delivered by him, the more that you're going to be aware of what the enemy does and you're going to be more equipped to deal with the enemy. I know that for a lot of people that's foreign territory and thus maybe scary. Um, that's why we're going to talk about it. Because I want, us to, I want us to understand the ground rules for what we're doing. And I want us to understand what does Jesus say about these things. I want, us, I want us to understand common terms so as we go through the semester we don't have to argue over. Well, I, I don't know if I believe in the demon stuff. That we're not doing, this is the time to do that argument. Not a month from now. Okay, so we're going to talk about the history of Satan. That blank is Satan. Uh, Satan is not, a, is not a proper name, just as Christ isn't a proper name. Christ is a description. It, it, it means that Jesus is the Messiah. It means that he's the promised Savior of Israel. That's what Christ means. It's not a name. Nor is Satan a name. Satan is a, is a description. It's a noun, and it means accuser. So who, who is Satan? Well, there's two key scriptures, if you've never spent any time on this stuff. There's two key scriptures that tell us the most about the history of Satan and his background. They're Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I'd love for you to spend some time in those. But I'm going to give you the cliff notes of my observations of those two passages. Here they are. Satan was once in heaven... He was, you might know this, at one point he was in heaven a long time ago, and he was anointed as a guardian cherub. We think that means pretty high on the org chart. He was the perfection of beauty and full of wisdom. Say beauty. That was sucky. Let's say, <laughs> say beauty. Beauty. And say wisdom. Wisdom. Okay. He owns those spaces. He knows how to be attractive. He's been that way for millennia, as far as we understand time. And he's wiser and more shrewd and more intelligent than you and I could ever touch. He owns beauty and wisdom. You're not going to outsmart the devil. And he knows how to be attractive to you in exactly the way that you are most susceptible to. Well, that sucks. But that's, there it is. That's a quote. This is straight out of the Bible. Perfection of beauty and full of wisdom. His heart became proud on account of his beauty. And his wisdom became corrupted because of his splendor. 
his glory fooled him, which happens to us from time to time. He was cast out of heaven. He was expelled by God. That's what the, again, this is what these passages say. And now, I find this very interesting. It says, now all who are aware of him are appalled at him. For those of us believers who are immature in that we're not appalled by the devil, that I just simply know that we aren't aware of him. If we were aware of him, we would be appalled by him. We would be horrified and we'd be running the other way. If you're kind of a shoulder shrug about the concept of the devil, um, then you're not aware of him. And that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. I, I would uh, take a guess, as uh, I think Joseph said on this video that we just watched. If you're going along with him, um, you, you're not going to have conflict with him. You might not see him. If you're going upstream of him, you're going to run into him. And so I want us to grow as we sort of expose the things that he does and his ways and the ways that he's hoodwinked us and our generations. I want us to become increasingly appalled by him because we're aware of him. Here's a little uh, story from Revelation 12 about him. And it says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. We think that the dragon is a picture of Satan. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the, these blanks are, whole world astray. What part of the world does he lead astray? The really bad guys? The Arabs? Is he the Arabs? No. The whole world. The murderers? No. Probably not murderers in action in this room. Probably murderers in heart in this room. But murdering in action? Not the way that we have been tempted. We just not part of our culture uh, but he's led you astray in all sorts of specific ways he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him a sort of summary of the story of the devil is that this position that he had guardian cherub one theory that sounds reasonable is that uh, he was one of a triumvirate of guardian cherubs, which perhaps was Michael, who we've heard of, Gabriel, who we've heard of, and Lucifer. And that he obviously became arrogant. There was some sort of conflict. He wasn't successful. He was thrown out. And perhaps everybody on his downline that would be a third of the angels went with him, followed him. They thought, he's our guy. That's just a theory. It makes sense to me. I just find it very important for us to just own. I know that you might not think this. You might not think this, but I want you to believe it because it's scriptural. 
He leads the whole world astray. That's what it says. He leads the whole world astray. You might have heard he's the prince of the air. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. There are entire belief systems that rule every culture that he is infected with the poison of his lies. And we've all been influenced one way or another by him and these lies. And he has these little underlings that do his bidding, that do everything in their power to execute the strategies of darkness. Let's go on. Who is Satan to you? Revelation 12.10, the next verse, the next verse says, okay, I'll just read the end of that verse. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. He is the accuser. We already used that word. He is the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before God day and night. That means he speaks ill of you. He speaks lies about you and all of those who are in the family of God. He spends his time besmirching their character, doing everything in their power to everything in his power to break them, knock them down. John 8, 44. Jesus said that the devil was a murderer is the word. Murderer. It's a harsh word. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Are we painting a picture here? Murderer, accuser, liar. We know he's proud. He got proud because of his own stuff. We know he's a rebel. He rebelled against the father. We know he's a fighter. He likes to go to war. We know he's shrewd. We know there isn't any truth in him. And he is the father of lies. Whatever lies there may be, he's the father of that lie. So here's, a, here's an American lie. The more stuff you have, the happier you will be. He's the father of that lie. He created that lie. He was born in his heart in hell. And he executes successfully on that lie every day. Here's a lie. You have value if you can compare yourself positively to the people that you see regularly. That's a lie. He's the father of that lie. You with me? He's the father of lies. Most of the lies that we believe, we never think about and we never discover them. Somebody tells a lie about me. Oh, I don't know. Um, the reason that thing screwed up is because Stephen didn't do his job. Right. Well, that's why that screwed up. I hear about that. I'm getting to the bottom of that. I'm straightening that out. Listen, that's not what happened. Here's the truth, okay? That was a lie. It's not true. Okay. And then I sit back and I think I've solved the lies in my world. And the fact is, there's a thousand lies rumbling through my heart and mind at any moment that I never challenge. Lies like, 
Um, I was unlovable as a kid. Um, God is more happy with me when I have a quiet time in the mornings. Um, I'm spiritually valid if I feel confident as a Bible teacher. Whoa. I mean, I don't, we don't usually challenge those kinds of thoughts. Well, they're just assumptions that we go on. But he's the father of all of those lies. What we want to do is start asking the Lord to go through me with a fine-tooth comb, and I want you to expose every lie. And when you expose them, God, I'm going to do an R word that will lead me to salvation. Repent. That's, that's the process. And when he exposes our stuff, <coughs> it's funny. Rob said in that video, um, what, a, what a shock to realize not everything that's happening inside of me is me. What we can tend to do is get defensive when the Lord puts his arm around us, which is the way that he would talk to us about such things. Put his arm around us and say, we've got some stuff to talk about. There's some stuff that you're believing and acting on. The reason that you're hurting your spouse is because there's a lie that you believe. And suddenly we go, hey, hold on a second. I, I, I'm a, I do a pretty good job. I try pretty hard. As if he's trying to demean us or kill us or kick us out of his embrace. When the good news is that God's not done with you. The good news is he's going to save you to the uttermost. If you'll just let it. That was such a massive realization to me that when I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit about something. I would just immediately start building up a wall against, well, I didn't really mean to do that. And I, that's not my intention. You know my heart, God. And et cetera. So instead of just going, wait a second. He's inviting me into more salvation right now. More life. Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Boy, I believe that. I'm just going to repent of that thing and get rid of it. Because those lies are meant to take you down and to take you out and make you ineffective and unproductive, according to 1 Peter 3. Okay, let's keep doing that was, that was those fun side sermon. Okay. First Peter 5, be self-controlled. You might have heard this verse. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Whose enemy? Your enemy. Say mine. Mine. Whose enemy? Mine. Okay. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Is that cute? No. Is that threatening? Yes. Is this thing hungry? Yes. Hungry for what? It's a B word. Blood. Wants blood. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Devour. If you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to eat you. He wants to tear you limb from limb. Have you ever seen a lion that wanted to put an antelope out of its misery quickly so that there was minimized pain? Couldn't care less about the amount of pain inflicted. Want to eat. So I'll, I'll eat your entrails right in front of you before you're dead. That's fine with me. 
And you could be kicking and screaming, I don't really hear your screams, I hear the delicious crunch of your bones. That's the picture the Bible is giving us. I don't think we take this seriously enough. Somehow it's a cartoon for us. Like, oh, he's like, oh, like a roaring lion. Well, wow, he's, he's a real meanie. <laughs> Devil. <laughs> Meanwhile, our families are falling apart and everybody's getting sick and dying and we don't know why and there's bitterness in our family and we harbor all of this rejection and shame and stuff. And we think, well, that's psychology over there. No, it's not. This is, a, this is a spiritual reality. We've all tasted this pain. We've all heard the crunch of our own bones in the devil's teeth. And I want you to get perturbed about it and realize it didn't happen by accident. Daddy didn't leave you by accident. It was part of a plan. There was a design and the, and the goal is to take you down. You know why? Because there's power in people like you understanding who they are and starting to walk in the Spirit. I'm talking about power with a capital P. I'm talking about raising people from the dead power. I'm talking about growing new limbs power. I'm talking about changing the course of nations power. So if I can just put a, just a big waxy coat of materialism and independence and rejection and rebellion on America, well then I can just move on from these cats, they're all done, and let's move on to somebody else. I want us to get mad about that and go, no, no more. There's an enemy, and you know what's appropriate with an enemy? Is that we get into a fighting stance and go, God, help me, so help me God. Is this connecting at all? Am I kind of past where you are? Okay. All right, hey, that's the, that's the Bible verse quoter back there. I'm going to lead her group. I'm going to be her drill group leader. No, we don't allow that two genders in the same drill group. We don't allow that. <clears throat> um, I, I, I'm just asking that because, you know, I don't know how much you know about this stuff. I, I would love feedback from you. Matter of fact, feedback. Let's give me a little feedback. I want somebody who's a bit confused or lost to say something or ask me a question. Please. Why did God allow Satan to have so much power? Why did God allow Satan to have so much power? Thanks, John. <laughs> My work is done here. All I can say is this. God will not have you be a robot. Love demands a choice. If it's love, you've got to choose it. He wants a loving relationship with every one of us. So there has to be an option which is not love. Has to be an option. That is a pretty wide swath there to go. Everything that's not right down the middle, following right after the heart of God and obeying Him, that's the good life. It's a narrow road. Think of how much falls outside of that territory. I think the reason that we see so much evil power is because there's so many options outside of just walking with him. And he will not rule us as robots. He, he insists that we must choose to walk with him. He, he, 
he will die for love, obviously. He will die for love. That's a hill he dies on. It has to be love. That's my, that's my answer to the question. That's a great, that's a, you know, I know that when John asked that question, I know that there's at least 10 other people who have the same kind of thought running through your brain. And if you can't get past where we're trying to get to without your issue being dealt with, pipe up. Come on, hand up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, something I wrote down was the bitterness and rejection I feel from my family is a deep lie that the accuser developed, authored, and instilled in me and my family. How can that be true? <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that question. It's true. Um, <laughs> How can he be the one that authored the bitterness and rejection that runs through your family line? On both sides. Like, that was me and me for Yeah, he did. Good work, right? Yeah, he's really, really good at this. You know how long I've been doing this? Kind of um, fighting him somehow? About 10 years. You know how long he's been doing it? Do you know how long I've been a student of my own soul and family? Maybe 15 years. You know how long he's been dealing with generational lines? The Bible, the Bible actually tells us, let me get to this in a minute. The Bible tells us how sins work through generational lines. We're going to look at that. Boy, she's, really, she's really on it back there. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Um, I'll get ahead of myself if I start answering that question. He's, he's done that thing with all of us. I'll tell you my story real quick since I don't think I had planned to say it, but you should hear it. Um, about 10 years ago, I had a friend who's a zealot like me, and he said, I met with this guy, and he's, he was going to pray for me. And... You could just get appointments with this guy and he'll pray for you. That's odd enough in my world. And he said, um, he prayed for me and he prophesied to me. Now that was, all, that was kind of a new term in my world. He prophesied, meaning he thought he heard the Spirit of God say something and then he told it to me. And he said he put his finger on um, my story without me saying anything to him, and he prayed for me, and, he, and my friend Mark, who told me the story, had a pretty dramatic response to this prayer time. He fell on the floor, he started kind of shaking a bit. Weird. And I was like, well, that's a weird story, Mark. <laughs> and, but he left, when he left, he said, I felt 30 pounds lighter when I left. He said, I, I, was, I was, something happened to me. And I don't even understand it, but something happened, and that's real, and I think you should go visit this guy. So I did. And um, he, uh, here's what happened. He, he, he was fairly new, I didn't know at the time, he was fairly new to all of this deliverancey stuff himself, but he was starting to put it into practice. Wise guy. So he was just going like, I'm not very good at this, so I'm just going to start praying for people and laying hands on them and see what happens. What a stud. <laughs> and so I said, hey man, if you pray for me, great. Well, he's a doctor. 
And so he only knew the methods he knew. So he had a clipboard when I sat down with him and he had his glasses on the end of his nose and it didn't feel like any sort of pastoral counseling appointment, I can assure you. He got out of pen and he just said, start telling me about your family background. And he just starts taking notes. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, we, I don't know, we nice people. Tell me about your mom's relationship to your dad. What's that like? Uh, it's, you know, fair. Tell me about your relationship to your dad. Okay. How do you do conflict with your mom? Mm -hmm. What's the diseases on both sides of your family? What are the illnesses? Mm -hmm. Just taking notes. All right. Puts a clipboard down. Does the dramatic glasses off move. Leans forward and says... Stephen, there's a spirit of unloving that's come through both sides of your family, and it's here to destroy you. Do you ever wonder if you love your friends more than they love you? It's like, all the time. I love my friends dearly, and I wonder if I'm bothering them. Do you ever wonder if you'll uh, ever have, if your wife will ever love you the way that you always dreamed that someone would love you? Oh, this time we're going like, where, where'd you get this stuff, man? What, what's happening right now? And he just said, you know, there's heart disease on both sides of your family, Stephen. The way you're describing these relationships, the way you describe your inter internal processes. I mean, one of the questions that he said to me was, what do you think is wrong with you? If God diagnosed you, you know what my main problem with you is? It's blank. What do you think he would say? I'm like, well, how much time have you got? And just start walking. He says, it's unloving on both sides of you. I'm like, you are a wizard. How did you understand this? And um, that was sort of my entrance into this, I'm, I, into this whole scene was my friend who went on to teach about this stuff, taught us about it. A lot of what you guys are getting came straight from him. And um, I, I see very clearly the way that things have been engineered in my family. I still see it happening. You go, go spend any time with your family of origin. When the lights come on and when you understand what's going on, and you'll just start doing this all the time. Wait a second. I know what you just said there. You try. Wait a second. I see now, hold on a second, I see what's happening there. You're trying to manipulate me. Well, they're going like, we're, we're not trying, we do it automatically. We've been doing it for 40 years. Oh, okay. Um, and then my wife goes, that's what you, that's you, you, you that's the same as you. Um, Every one of us have a story like that. Probably multiple layers of multiple stories. And the scripture tells us, promises us, that there is a, there is a river of sin that's come down to each of us. We were born into sin. You weren't, you weren't born randomly. Um, I can look at your DNA. I can look at your facial features connect you to your parents and go, oh, well, there's similarities there, of course, yeah. Two white parents don't have a black kid. There's going to be DNA similarities there. Guess what? There's going to be spiritual DNA similarities as well. You didn't come from nowhere. You came from two people 
who have a background, who have a story that they are part of that river and that river has come to you. And part of what we're going to do is start going, Lord, start walking me through the story here. I want to wake up and I want to start put, you know, staunching this river and saying no farther. It stops here. I've seen that happen in my life. It's really exciting when I think of all the things I see in my kids that are the opposite of the way that my sister and I were growing up. All right, that was, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. Let's keep going. The thief comes only to steal. steal. He wants to steal things that are rightly yours and kill and destroy. Does that sound to you like the little red guy on pitchfork on your shoulder that says, go on, drink another beer? Does that sound like that to you? Yes. This guy sounds like a maiming death machine to me. He says he comes to destroy you. It's not to tempt you into a little lie because then you'll be, you'll be doing a bad thing. Oh, he's not wanting to tempt you into mischief. He wants to shoot your kneecaps off so that you'll crawl and then start biting your limbs off. That's what he wants. And he wants to do it to your whole family and all of your friends. And he would love it if you would agree with him so that you could be the channel of all that stuff to the people around you as well. Please, God, wake me up. Wake me up. Ephesians 4.27 commands, Do not, please underline, do not, do not give Satan, the accuser, a foothold. A foothold. He's trying to scale the mountain of you. And he's looking for a place, just a divot, that's enough for him to put his foot in and, and find a little place of purchase so that he can continue onward. Have you ever given him a foothold? Yes. Say it louder. Have you ever seen one of those uh, mountain climbers, like um, they, they get a place for their handhold and then they go, yes, I've made it. And then they hang there for three years. Yeah, I got a hold. No, that's not what they do. No, the reason they want the hold is because they're going somewhere. They have somewhere to go. He doesn't just take a foothold. He goes, he moves from there. Mass murderers. I don't even need to know the guy's story. Find yourself a mass murderer, you got a porn guy. I know it, I know it. Because he's looking for footholds. He's not interested in staying anywhere. Oh, you're a little bit bitter towards your mom. Perfect, I think we're done here. Yay, you're bitter. He's not going to stay there. He's looking for a foothold. Remember D-Day? Saving Private Ryan? We just needed a spot. We just needed an inn. You give us an inn, we're going to win this war. We'll take the whole thing. Nobody, nobody started setting up a shopping mall at Normandy. Hey, I think we've got this little beach to ourselves. They said, this is our inn. We, we run from here. Now we cruise. Now we crush. That's what he wants to do with you. And every place in your life where you just volunteer that thing, well, I'm critical. 
Okay, moving on. Let's go to the next thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's, what's, there's a lie somewhere. What's the critical thing going on? We need, we need to route that mother out. Get that cleaned up. Make it smooth. No footholds. Ephesians 6 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Does that sound passive to you or does that sound tough and brave? You didn't hear it. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Does that sound passive or does that sound brave and tough to you? Yes. That does not sound like sweet Jesus, meek and mild. See you Sunday morning. I hope we don't cuss between now and now. It sounds like war. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I don't know if you know that. Your mother-in-law is not the problem. There's a puppet master behind mother-in-law. He's the one that you should oppose, not her. But against the rulers, now listen to this list, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's my little statement. Satan has an army, and he kills and lies and steals. In the, now back to the middle sheet. In the kingdom of darkness, there are ranks. That was a strategic layout of a ranking system that we just read. There are battle plans. There's ammunition. There's power. There's targets. And there's a goal. Am I, am I being too intense or am I painting things up over dramatically when we use this war language? Or have you seen some casualties around your life? Do you get pissed off? I would like you to and go, there's a power behind this. That cancer didn't come from nowhere. It makes me mad. I want, I want you to feel that. This is not, this is not unnecessarily dramatic language. Satan has a militia set up to take you out, thwart God's plans to redeem Israel, humiliate Jesus as incapable of conquering with love, and destroy the object of God's love, people like you and me. This team, once they get in and operate, they create something called strongholds. A little definition here is that stronghold is your agreement with the enemy and his taking up residence in that lie. If you'll agree with him, um, you're not special. If you believe that lie and you punt that lie and say, well, he can have that one. I'll just try to be a good homemaker. But I, okay, I'm not special. He will take up residence in that lie and he will systematically set up a fortress so that he can then operate from that lie and he'll start to take other ground 
That fortress we call a stronghold. Having a demon, having a demon is the same thing as a stronghold. The enemy comes in and he takes hold of something, and no matter what you do or how hard you try, you can't seem to feel free of it. Patterns of thoughts, patterns of behaviors. You might feel stuck and think if you try, if you pray harder, work harder, it might go away. But it might be an evil spirit. Um, I don't think we waste any time on this point here, but I'll just make this point if this is a struggle spot for you. The Bible is very clear that believers can give place to Satan and his demons in their lives. Otherwise, for starters, why would Paul tell us not to do that? Don't give Satan a beachhead or a foothold in your life. Obviously, that's a possibility. You remember the time when um, Peter said to Jesus, Hey man, you don't have to suffer and die on a cross. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, what, what do you think Peter thought of that? He's up there, Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty high up on the org chart right now. Jesus could smell the presence of the enemy in the words of one of his closest friends. And he said, that's not Peter. And I'm speaking right to that thing that has a place in his heart somewhere. I don't know exactly what the lie was that Peter believed, but it was something along the lines of, we're following this guy and we will conquer and we will not have to suffer. Because he didn't like Jesus talking that way about suffering. And the enemy came in and made a, made a spot. Okay. He's up there. Okay. Um, I'm afraid of our time. So I'm just going to summarize what uh, happened in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3. You'll be spending time on this this week, I'm sure. So I'm just going to summarize for you and tell you what it says. What happened is um, Adam and Eve sinned. The first thing that happened, we know, is that they were separated from God. Um, he, he explains that later on. But, but there was a separation, a spiritual separation that happened between Adam and Eve and the Lord. He had to come looking for them, you know, and they hid from him, which is a totally new thing for them, separated from him. You read that story, and it's, it's profound. If you, look, if you look at that story, it's the first sin, right? It's the first sin. You can see the way that strongholds, and the enemy was working right from the beginning, if he's the father of lies, right? So uh, when God comes looking for Adam, and he says, why did you hide? Does anybody remember what Adam said? He said, I was afraid. Sort of like, well, who taught you, who taught you fear, Adam? You never experienced fear before. You know any reason? Where'd you get fear? Fear came right in. After sin happened, a spirit of fear or a lie of fear. He gave them a place. 
Then you also see this thing happen between the two of them. He says, what'd you do, Adam? He says, this woman you gave me. He says, what'd you do, Eve? And she says, well, the serpent, he. And there's a name for this thing, and it's called accusation. And it's a spirit. Accusation was right there. I mean, ready to rock, given the opportunity. The other thing that you see that happens immediately is that they want to cover themselves. Guilt and shame right there immediately. You see all you see this crazy stew of things happen when you, when you start to understand the way the enemy works. You can see it all over the place. You can see these, these really important stories in Scripture. You can see them unfold and see how the enemy worked. And the, and the Bible actually goes out of its way to describe for us what was happening behind the scenes in these stories. I just want you to know that's how sin works. The enemy doesn't give high fives when you sin and go, great, see you tomorrow. He moves in. He's got suitcases in his hands. When you sin, he goes, perfect. I'm home now. We will move from here. It's scary. It should trouble you. Does that trouble you? Okay, good. Because he didn't come to be your friend. He came to destroy you. I wouldn't have to be so heavy-handed if we talked about this in the church. But we, we really like to encourage. Encourage all the time. There is encouragement. There is good news. But you've got to know the bad news before you can understand the good news. Okay. These evil spirits create separation. I just described this. From God. From others. And then from self. So nobody, nobody wakes up neutral and then all of a sudden they have um, schizophrenia. That's not step one. Step one is that somebody got divided from God. Somebody started getting isolated from other people. And then the arrows start turning inward. And we hate ourselves and now I'm separated from myself. I don't even, I'm not even on the same team as myself anymore. There's hatred within myself. You, this, is a, this is a real revelation for me in this whole process. And, and I, I'm trying to explain to you that when I felt conviction, I would immediately try to run from it. Because when I started to understand like things like self-hatred... In our society, self-hatred will get you pity. And somebody put an arm around you and go, I am so sorry that things are working this way for you, that you would hate yourself. The truth of the kingdom is that when you would come to the grips with there's self-hatred in me, the Lord would say, you need to spit that poison out of your mouth. And own that you've been a party to your own demise. And stand up and say, in Jesus' name, no more. I repent of this, Lord. This self-hatred has been sent as, as a messenger to kill me. And I've been participating in it. I repent of it, Lord. 
And I've always thought of repentance as some big shameful, oh, I'm such a bad guy. I always thought repent means I'm an even worse guy than I ever thought I was. I'm so bad. And I've, I was always fearful of that thought. So I wanted to run from, I don't want God to think I'm bad. I want God to think I'm good. Well, that's the law. Romans 4.4 4 says you've got two options. One is that you can try to be a good guy and go to hell, or you can admit that you're wicked and, and be saved. That's a good verse. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm good anymore. I just want him to save me. So when he says, Stephen, you got self-hatred in you, and I would like to take that land because you've given it to the enemy. I just go, well, I repent, Lord. You know why I'm excited to repent? Because I know it's on the other side. You know what's through door number three? S word. Salvation. Salvation. When God puts his finger, let me say this again. I said this earlier tonight. When God puts his finger on anything in your life that he wants correcting, he's trying to invite you into more salvation. But we think he hates us. Oh, don't tell me that I have self-hatred. I'm so sorry. And he's like, I wasn't trying to get you sorry. I'm trying to get you to oppose that thing and start getting mad about it and saying, I've been, I have been lazy and letting that thing run all over me. I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stand. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Stand. I put on the armor and I stand. And I say that has described me. That criticism is a good example for me. It described me for 20 years. Criticism. I owned it as part of my personality. And for the first time, I had to go, you know what? It did come through my mom. This is something that we do in our family. This has how I've described me to myself for 20 years. And now it stops. That doesn't describe me anymore. You describe me, Lord. You tell me who I am. And he says, well, you're not a criticizer. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm saying no to that. I want to pit to that thing. I don't want to be separated from myself anymore. I don't want to be separated from others. I don't want to be separated from you. Any reaction or question? I'm, I'm going fast. Okay, this, are we, I want us to understand all this stuff before we get into stuff. Later in the class. How did Jesus deal with demons? You're going to love this. You're going to love it. Because my understanding of demons and the dealing of demons was all very high-minded. It was all about who's got the energy, who's got the charisma, and can you do the Jesus shuffle enough in magical, weird ways so that you can get the devil to respond to you. I don't know. I just thought, I don't know how to do that dance, and I'm not sure I want to learn that. But here's how Jesus did it. Here's Luke 4.33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon. What? Where was he? Oh, snap. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice. I like to imitate this guy. Because I never heard it read this way. In the church house, but this is what it says, top of his voice. Ready? Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, <laughs> Jesus said sternly. 
come out of him. And the demon threw that man down before them all and he came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? We've never seen someone cast demons out on TBN like that at all. Where's the drama? And will you be asking us for money at the end of this? They said, what is this teaching with what? Underline authority and underline power. He gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. We interested, Walt? We're very interested in authority and power. Not histrionics, not theatrics. See, authority is positional. I have a desk here at Crossroads. There's somebody that I report to. And when he comes by my desk, he can whisper to me, you'll turn this report in on Thursday. I'll turn the report in on Thursday. It's not about whether he can puff up his chest and say, Stephen, in the name of Jesus, you will turn this report on Thursday. He doesn't have to do that. You know why? He has authority. So he just gets to walk in his authority. And I respond not to the person or the tone of voice or the charisma or the persuasion tactics. I respond to the authority. Get it? Ha! Who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? You're the son of God. Shut your mouth and get out of this guy. Okay, shoot. <laughs> and there he goes. Jesus commanded demons simply and with total authority. That's the word, authority. Now, if Jesus is the king of kings, there's something beautiful that goes along with being the king of everything that is. Do you know who made Jesus the king? I think it's Acts 2.38 that says that the Lord of heaven and earth made him Lord. Made him to be the Lord. Jesus got his authority by rights. And he can execute that authority any way he wants to. If he wants to walk outside and say, now it rains. It rains. Winds, be still, all still. Demon, come out, comes out. He can, do, he can do anything he wants because he's the king of kings. That's great to know. I'm glad to know that Jesus can do that. That's cute and great. What about me? What about me? Could we do what Jesus did? Now check this out. Luke 9. Jesus had called the 12 together and he gave them... Power and authority. What? Would you please underline, he gave them. Now hold on. Does Jesus have the right to give power and authority? If my boss came into my office and he said, on this next project, 
you'll be led by somebody I hired yesterday. Does he have the authority to do that? And who will I report to? The dude that got hired yesterday. And I might think, well, I think I know more than he does. That doesn't really matter because he has the authority that's been delegated. When Jesus, the King of Kings, who has authority over all things, gives you power and authority, my friend, you have power and authority. And the dumbest thing you can do is to act like you don't have it. And the enemy can smell out a mile away. And if you don't know that you don't, if, if you don't know that you have authority, he would love to exploit the situation. Get it? Okay. We've been delegated power by Jesus. You don't even need to know what to do with any of that stuff. Again, I don't even need you to think it right now. I just want you to believe it. I just want you to believe it. Say, I will. I will. Say, I do. I do. Check it out. Luke 17. One chapter later, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I can't believe it. These guys are going, I just can't believe what I'm seeing here. They had one example in their lives of, of demon submission, and it was to the king of kings. But he says, I'm giving it to you. And they go out with shaky knees. Okay, he said that we could do it. They come back. <clears throat> They're full of joy. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied with a big grin on his face, <clears throat> like the butcher's dog. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, boys. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, fellas. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you and get all bowed up, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You're my guys. Let that be your grounding. Let that be our identity. Don't strut into the room like, well, the deliverer is here. It's big Steve, the deliverer. That's true in a way. It is true in a way. But that's not where I find my identity. I'm, I'm his little brother. I'm my father's son. That's, that's where I find my identity. And actually, that's where all of my power and authority comes from. It's my relationship to big brother and to dad. John 14, 12. I want you to hear this verse again in this context. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Because he's going to send us his spirit. He let that cat out of the bag in John 16. I mean, I'm going to regurgitate things I've heard here. But I've seen it happen. He's a legalist. 
he wants to, his accusations generally have some truth in them. Um, but, but when we deal with him, he goes like, you're a sinner, you know, you, you, um, you've lied about people. Well, shoot, I mean, yeah, that's true. So he can go, well, you're a liar and you're going to hell. Under the law, he's right. He's got me. I need to be familiar with grace, which triumphs over even justice. And I could say to him, you know, what you're saying is true, but that's not my identity anymore because I've been redeemed from that deal by the Lord. And I repent of the lie, whatever. So my point is, he's a legalist and he responds to laws and authority structures. He doesn't have a choice. He doesn't have a choice but to do what God tells him to do. He has a little swath of land that he gets to operate in because God allows him to operate because for the reason I said earlier, there has to be the possibility of disobeying God. So he tells us in Matthew 18, we'll talk about this with bitterness. The Bible tells us point blank, if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you will be tortured by the devil. That is inside of God's plan. Because if you oppose something as basic to God's heart as forgiveness, you will taste death. Get it? The wages of sin really is death. So he has this swath of land that's been given to him by the Lord because our father demands love and he wants obedience to be a choice, not robots. But on the edges of that, of that perimeter, he can't come. He's simply under authority. God is sovereign. Like, it's as, it, it is exactly the same as when Jesus says, wind still. Wind still. Jesus has authority. So when God says, devil, go, he, he goes. He's, he's under submission. We don't really appreciate that because most all authority that we've ever seen in our lives, we get to opt into if we want to. The teacher says, put your pins down. You're like, well, I'll put the pin down. I'm good and ready. I'll put the pin down. <laughs> That's how we treated our parents. That's how we've treated authorities our whole life. So we think that authority is an opt-in, opt-out situation. It is not. True authority. When the king, when the king walks down the country lane, he can stop into any house and say, I'll have that table. Well, this is our only table and we, uh... Oh, it's yours. You own everything, don't you? Yep, it's your table. And he walks away. The king can do that. That's total authority. And Satan falls under the realm of everything. So God's sovereign. He has to obey him. The weird thing is, we, we don't. We don't experience that. He doesn't make us he doesn't put a hook in our nose. He doesn't treat us like wind and demons that have to obey his every whim. That's amazing. If we understand authority, we'll have a lot of joy and gratitude. Because we, but for, for Satan, it's, it's zeros and ones. I mean, he doesn't have a choice. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will run from you. Why? Because you're so smart and strong 
No. You're not impressed as to him whatsoever, I can assure you. But he recognizes authority. And if Jesus gave you authority and you walk in it, he recognizes it. Jesus' expectation in that early church was that we would all actively oppose Satan the thief and reclaim stolen property from him. Dealing with demons was a fundamental part of Jesus' ministry, and we are called to continue the fight. Satan's victory against us will continue and increase if we sit idly by and refuse to challenge it with our authority, his authority. We need only recognize that we are and have been in agreement with our enemy, repent and walk away. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Huffing and puffing. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, guess what? Good news! They have divine power to demolish strongholds. The very things that he will set up in you to take you out. By God's spirit, you can blow them apart. Is that good news? Yes. Hallelujah. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That thought that there is a good life that God is trying to keep you from. That's a lie. It's a lie. It came from the enemy because he's the father of lies. And we demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We blow that thing to smithereens. We repent. We retake that ground and we say, God, you are the good life. Walking with you is life to the full, to the uttermost. It's life with a capital L. Jesus said it. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Remember me saying our goal didn't get to heaven when we die? You remember that? That was one of my hot sports opinions. Jesus said this is eternal life. To know him, the one true God. And Jesus, the Messiah, who he sent that's eternal life. That's the good life, is walking with him. And how did the guys come back? Tell me emotion connected to the guys when they came back after dealing with the demons. Joy. That's the real thing. I didn't, I got a new Xbox. It's the real thing. Deep, deep joy. Where your heart resonates with. I'm on the safe bandwidth as my father right now. This is what I was made for. Don't ever let me fall away from this. You ever had those moments with God where you go, don't ever let me lose this. Don't let me forget how good it is to be in your presence right now. And then you go, oh, candy. <laughs> but I want to walk in that thing. And you were made to walk in it. Okay, let's keep going. The spiritual roots of disease. Again, you'll be reading these, I'm sure, in your spare time. <clears throat> Trust me when I tell you that Deuteronomy 7 describes the process of doing spiritual warfare in the land God's given us. Now that Deuteronomy 7 is describing the physical land of Canaan that the Israelites are coming into. But the land that we're coming into to own is our own souls that he's giving us, that land. And he's saying, I'm giving you this land to come into. God says 
to the Israelites coming into Canaan, they'll not drive them out all at once. It will be a process. What's another important process you know about? Salvation is a process. This sounds like the deliverance part of salvation. You're going to drive out everything that lives on the ground that I've given you. And he says you're going to drive them out in a process. When you were born again, you came to Jesus, your spirit was made new. He removed a heart of flesh that longed after the world and um, the messages of the enemy. And he put in you a spirit that beats for him. But your flesh and your soul did not respond immediately to that moment. You didn't, you didn't um, have a completely renewed way of thinking when you were born again. You didn't then not struggle with any of your thoughts. You didn't not struggle with any of your emotions and a perfect will that follows God in all things. That did not happen to you when you were born again. Because he's going to give you this land little by little. And you're going to take it. And you have to take it. You have to learn how to take it. He, yeah, he also links the absence of our enemies with physical healing. You can read it in that, read it in that passage. He says, when you drive out um, all these enemy groups from off of the land that I've given you, he, sa he says, there'll be no diseases among you. There'll be no miscarriages. There'll be no tumors among you. And he goes into great detail about what it's going to be like. Very interesting passage. This isn't by any means the only Bible passage that makes the connection between demonic activity and physical freedom. Matthew 17. This is just an example of many passages. A man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, this guy had physical problems. I don't hear him describing any spiritual anything here. Just like, I got a physical problem. Why, why in the world did he think Jesus, Mr. Kingdom of God and the sweet by and by, had any interest in the physical needs of his son? Jesus spent a lot of time healing people because that's part of the salvation that Jesus ushered in. He got rid of demons. He healed people physically and he brought the salvation of eternal punishment and separation from God. He is the embodiment of salvation. His name means God saves. Hello. It means God saves, heals, and delivers. When Jesus walks in the room, he starts cleaning out the whole thing. I brought them to your disciples, which is a reasonable thing for the guy to do, and they couldn't heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, probably very simply, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Now, what? Who said anything about a demon? He didn't say my kid's possessed. He didn't even say my kid's mentally unstable. 
He said he has seizures. And Jesus went, hmm, I'm hearing the Lord tell me that's a demon present there. What? Are you seeing that there might be some relationship between something physical happening and a spiritual root in there? Are you hearing that? I can reread the story if you don't <laughs> hear it. There's a lot of stories like this. Proverbs 17 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Not, that's just in the Bible. It says that if your spirit is crushed, your bones are dried up. Osteoporosis? Crushed spirit, maybe you don't think it's osteoporosis. I don't know what you may, you, I don't know what you might think that means something else. It's definitely talking about something physical happening in your bones because of a crushed spirit. There's connections. Just read these verses. There's connections between body and spirit. That might be news to you, but it's right there. I want us to wade into those waters. I don't have all the answers. It's not simple to me. It's not A plus B equals C. But there's something there. Uh, I'll tell you one story. Um, I refer often to a book by a guy named Henry Wright. And the book is called, it's a poorly written book. You can wade through it if you'd like to. Uh, it's called A More Excellent Way. And this guy has a church in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta now. And for 40 years, all his church does, they have one ministry. And it's praying for healing for people. And they've seen some stuff. And he tells a story because he believes in this connection. So he said he was teaching somewhere. This is one of his stories. Some three old ladies came up to him and said, we have arthritis and we want you to pray for our arthritis to be healed. And he said, I won't pray for your arthritis. What? He said, because there's a spiritual root of your arthritis and it's unforgiveness in all three of you ladies. You have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and that arthritis has a right to be there because it's come on the, on the backs of these demons that you've let into your lives. I think they were offended at him. And they left and um, they came back several days later and said, okay, Pastor Henry, you got us. We talked about it and every one of us deals with unforgiveness and bitterness. We're ready to repent of it and deal with it. Oh, great. They repented. Once they repented of that sin and the demon has no, he has no traction. He has no land to stand on anymore. It's been removed from him. So then he just goes, okay, well now arthritis be gone. And their hands are instantly healed. I mean, he's got a thousand stories that are exactly like that. He goes after the spiritual roots of disease. That's all he does. Because he says there's a spiritual root to everything. Now... I didn't say that, but I'm willing to quote a guy who's had success for 40 years in this stuff. So, we're trying to wade into those waters. We believe, I would rather say this and be dogmatic about it, we believe there are often spiritual roots of disease. 
And it seems like the USA publishes articles at least monthly that make this connection at well, as well. Poor self-image causes obesity. Fearful children develop asthma. Rejection produces depression. Stress and adrenaline produce tumors, etc. Just keep your eyes open. You'll see science is coming up with this stuff all the time. I sort of collect these articles. One thing I found on this chart up in the right is somebody did a study of what the deaths are by musical genre. So if you sing the blues, 28% of them die because of heart disease. And they're always singing about a broken heart, are they not? It's just fascinating stuff. So I'm always fine. I'm just looking in the news, just looking for science reports that connect the dots, because this is what the scriptures say. Depression and anxiety pass from parents to kids. I could have said no crap. At least ten generations. I'll just check, you know, we can look at the verse. Okay. Pep Smith and Henry Wright estimate 85% of all illness is spiritual. We don't believe that all sickness is demonic in nature, nor that medicines and doctors are always bad. We believe that all illness should be brought to God, though. And I'm, I, I mean, my daughter broke her legs recently. I think that the, I think that the enemy had a plan in that. But I do believe that when you have a car crash and you can look at physics and then there's a point at which bones break, I get it. I also think the enemy had a plan in there. But just because even when something happens physically, I don't just, I don't just necessarily assume, well, that's just a physical consequence of that deal. We, the la our last semester, if I'm not mistaken, Last semester, one of the first weeks, we had just done this, and a kid, I forget exactly the story, it was like a paper airplane, kid was playing with a paper airplane, and he fell, and the paper airplane, the point of it went right into the kid's eye, and it ruptured whatever's happening in your eyeball, and it was puffy and blood everywhere, and the dad, who had just been in this class, just had at least enough faith to give it a shot. He said, before we do anything else, I'm just putting my hands on my son. I'm saying, Jesus, you're the healer and you can do anything. And he pulled his hands off and the kid's eye, with blood, trickles of blood still around, it was totally normal. The, I also have a friend, this happened last semester, I believe, or, or maybe the one before it. She found a cavity in her kid's mouth we all know how cavities happen. We're all so smart and scientifically astute. I know what they do in, I know what they do in China when they find cavities. They run to their father and go, you're our only hope. We don't have doctors and insurance. You're our only hope. Heal us. And this woman, her name's Kristen, she was so simple-minded and so naive and so stupid that she just put her hands on her son and said, Lord, we need you to heal this cavity. She took photos, by the way, before and after. Cavity gone. She laid her hands on her son, cavity gone. Now, I know you, I know me, and I know you, and now everybody's thinking, you're saying I'm not spiritual because I've had... 
I'm going through stuff. Why do I have this condition right now? And I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm not making any comments about you. I'm trying to understand God's word. And I'm trying to put it into practice. I want to grow in this stuff. I'm not making any comments about you. I'm, I'm certainly not accusing you. I'm not telling you that if you had more faith like this cat, if you had more faith, this thing wouldn't happen to you and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe any of that BS. I just believe that God wants to rescue us. I believe that. That's what he's telling us. And I want to grow. All I can tell you is I want to grow in it. Um, I'll just tell a story on myself. We're used to telling great stories about ourselves. Last week, after this meeting, there was a request in the back of the room. I got a bad ankle. Would you pray for this ankle? I'm like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's pray for the ankle. Lay hands the ankle. Nothing happened that I was aware of. I left like, well, my hit rate is still crappy. <laughs> but you know what I'm going to do the next time somebody I see sickness? I'm going to say, Jesus can heal you. I'm going to ask him to right now. And I'm telling you that over the years, I don't know how this works. I hope you don't have to wait years. I'm pushing in and my hit rate's going to go up. It just is. I believe this stuff. It's not always, I don't always see it in reality. I know it's a spiritual reality. Faith isn't sight yet. This isn't all one-to-one. -one. I don't walk in the same authority that Jesus did or with the simplicity or the way that he heard God's voice. I'll, I'll say all those things if you want me to say those things. I still know this is true. And I still want you to start walking in these things. I want us to go, come on. This kind of passive crap where doctors are our best and only hope. No, I just don't see that. We got a better hope. Boy, am I behind, huh? 1 Corinthians 12.10 says that we should be seeking to distinguish between spirits. That means being able to identify them. And one way to do that is to know which are strong men. Jesus talks about strong men in Luke 11 and which are underlings. We use that phrase, underlings. That's not a Bible term. That's just our description of something that's not a strong man, basically. That is inferior demons that serve the aims of the strong man. A thorough study is, well, let me say this about strong men. So, demons work in a hierarchy. Fear is a strong man. It's one of the big boys. And, and I get that from scripture, and I get that from people who've been doing this a very long time. It's a strong man. Anger is not a strong man. Anger is a little craphead, a little loser. And if you deal with somebody on the surface, you might get way more anger vibes off them than you get fear vibes. And you deal with the anger. Guess what the anger's job is? To protect the strong man of fear that's present there. Because fear is the big boy. And anger is an underling who's just running interference. Got it? So like lust isn't a big boy. I, you know, I know a whole bunch of guys who go, well, lust is my problem. I would say rejection is your problem. Not understanding who you are as a son. And lust is running interference so that you never tackle that thing. Because that's the big root. And so I want to understand these hierarchies. I would rather go after the chief and ruling spirit than to waste my time on the underlings. So what we do 
is in this class, we spend our time understanding the strong men. That's what we, that, that's what we teach. So a thorough study of scriptures coupled with the experience of those who have been doing this work for decades, but there's a list of strong, strong men. Here they are. Bitterness and unforgiveness, accusation, unloving, rejection, religion, occult, and fear. So we told you that we, we do the um, six skills listed at the beginning of Hebrews 6. Remember that? Yes. Yes? I know it's been two hours. God bless you. Remember that, those skills? Yeah. Hebrew 6? Okay, this is the other thing that we cover in this class, are these strong men. Every one of these losers has had success with you at some point in your life, to some degree. And so what we want to do is uncover them. What does the Bible say about a spirit of rejection? How does it work? How can I understand how it's worked in me and in my generations? And then what's the antidote? How do, I, how do I defeat that thing? What, what's the truth? If I start not believing the lie anymore that I'm rejected, what's the truth that's supposed to come in and, and give me something to stand on so I can put my feet on a rock and not be on the slippery slope of rejection anymore? So that's what we do. Okay, doorways. Ready? Doorways. Entries for the enemy would include generational entry points, such as the bastard's curse, specified for children born out of wedlock in Deuteronomy 23.2. The bastard's curse is in the Bible. If a kid is born out of wedlock, there is a curse on his life. It's a spiritual reality. There is a curse there. I got good news for you. <laughs> I know someone who can break curses but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the knowledge to break that curse if I didn't believe it was there the Bible tells me it's there okay so these are what are the doorways what are the entry places when a thief walks up to your house and he sees a window open on the second floor and the garage door open and a window open on the side he goes well there's so many choices how am I going to invade I want us to understand the doorways. Where does the enemy get in? And we're going to start locking those things down and going, no more entry here. I knew because of having gone through this, when we had our car crash, our kid broke her legs, blah, blah, blah. I knew that traumatic events were a happy doorway for the enemy. If you've been through any traumatic events, I promise you, fear has come knocking on your door. It's just really easy, simple logic. So guess what we did when we had our car crash? Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, we tell fear you can never enter this door. I'm not going to be afraid of cars or driving in cars. I'm not going to think that somebody's out to get my kid. We're all going to die. I don't believe any of those lies. So right now, just put a stake in the ground and go, he's been as for me today as he's ever been. But he chose me before the foundations of the world, according to Ephesians 1.4, and he chose me today, and I'm his. And fear, you don't get in through this doorway. So we got to be aware of those doorways, so let's list some. Traumatic events. Oh, look, there it is, traumatic events. Where spirits like fear, self-protection, and unloving can gain access, or oaths you've spoken. I'll never be like my father. I'll never have sex. 
I promise I'll keep your, your secret or may I die. Family secrets are not good, by the way. I'll never lose. I made a promise with myself. I'll never lose. Which can produce all sorts of spiritual shenanigans, my word. Other doorways may include. Here's a list of doorways. Okay. Spend some time on those. I'm sure that the Lord will reveal some things to you if you'll just spend some time on these doorways. The womb is a real common one. Were you a wanted child? Were you a, were you a pregnancy that was delighted in by both of your parents? My mother's mother, my mother's, what am I saying? My wife's grandmother used to beat her belly in hopes that she would kill the baby inside her belly. Now, that was not a wanted pregnancy. There was spiritual trauma that happened to that baby. And we've seen it. We've seen it generation after generation. So, in the womb, the womb is a doorway. You know how there's that opening on a kid's head, all that soft stuff? Their spirits are like that, too. They're just open. They're open. And if you speak fear, fearful things, oh, I, I got to check on the, uh, on the doctor.net.web.com every day and make sure my pregnancy is going okay because I'm sure the baby's going to die somehow. Oh, do we have all the bumpers in the right place? And I, we got to make... If you do that during pregnancy, you're going to have a fearful kid. But I got good news. I know somebody that can break that stuff. Okay? I just want to understand how it all works. So the womb is a good example. Trauma, adoption, absence, father, divorce, traumatic event, church hurt, abuse, failure, witnessing violence, military violence, family secrets, broken heart, death of family member, etc. You could probably make your own list. As we prepare to investigate the strongmen and all the doorways of their entry, ask the Holy Spirit to show you places where you need healing and deliverance now. That could happen for you over the next week. Just by spending some time with him, he could say, something happened to you while you were in your mom's belly that I didn't like. And something got in there and I want you to just stand against it for the first time in your life. Great. By the way, that would go something like this. Jesus, I admit that I received fear from my mom while I was in her womb. I didn't know any better. But you're in the process of saving me. So now for the first time, I just want to put a block on that fear and say, no, I will not be afraid. I would probably memorize some verses about not being afraid. And this will not happen to my children. I'll not be fearful around, around my children. I'm going to be like that Proverbs 31 woman who's laughing at the future. She's laughing at the days to come. Oh, are you crazy? This will be such a healthy baby. Ha, ha, ha. It'll be so easy. <laughs> what a naive woman. She's laughing at the days to come. That's hard for us to do because we haven't let God love us through all of the pain of our past, most of us. So we have a very shallow idea of what the goodness to come is going to look like. Just a thought. As we prepare to investigate the strong men, oh, what did I say? Oh, yeah. As he does, we'll repent together and walk out into freedom and salvation like we've never known before, and it's going to be awesome. Finally, know this as we walk into our Jesus-bought authority and deal with the enemy, repenting and receiving.
The Lord is our deliverer. This is his name. He gave himself this name so we could understand who he is. He's not surprised or caught off guard to catch the places, to find the places that you have been tripped up and victimized by the enemy. Oh, no. Bitterness. Shoot. I guess I'll have to go rummage through my bag of tricks and see if I can come up with a solution for you. He goes, exactly. When you come to this realization, oh, I, I think rejection runs through my family lines. He goes, yes, exactly. You need a deliverer. Guess what I do? That's what I do. I deliver people. He's our deliverer. So as we wake up to these things, he's waiting. He's ready and waiting to come in and meet us in these places. This is the salvation that has been afforded you. It is God's will that we walk in freedom. Know that he wants this for you and he will deliver you. Psalm 27. Let's read it together. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. That is some weak, weak reading. <laughs> Psalm 27.1. Say it like he's the stronghold of your life. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? Hmm. Psalm 109. Read it. But you, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. Psalm 3.8. Let's say it together. From the Lord comes deliverance. This is not a side job for him. It's not a, it's not a hobby. He's not moonlighting when he delivers you. This is his career. This is his vocation. It's who he is. He is your savior, your healer, and your deliverer. Uh, we have so little faith around this stuff. And, and Jesus said that one time, he said, oh, oh, wicked and perverse generation. I, I find that very interesting when they said we, your disciples couldn't heal him. He, they were talk, he were talking very micro. I might have said, well, who'd you, who prayed with you? I'm going to talk to that guy. Jesus went macro, and he said, we're in the middle of a wicked and perverse generation. You know, there were times when Jesus couldn't do miracles in the Bible. And it says, because there wasn't enough faith in that town. Now, I'll just be blunt with you, because I love you, and I'll tell you the truth. Even when we're sharing this, this is a hard thing for me to share, because I can feel how low the faith level in the room is. I can just feel this is foreign to us. We're Americans. We're smart. No, we're so smart. We're so smart that we don't believe the scriptures. Because we got all of our experience and our great brain power that tells us, well, I know that doesn't work. But let me tell you something. Where, where we're going, you will be surrounded by a pool of faith. You will be surrounded by people that even when your faith is weak, you'll be surrounded by people that go, of course he saves and heals and delivers. We've seen it. Don't you remember that kid whose eye got healed? My friend Brad, he had three strokes and the Lord healed him. What? You're not supposed to get healed with three strokes. My friend Brad's healed. My friend Scott was healed of HIV. Doctor said, you were, you were misdiagnosed, young man, because HIV doesn't go away. 
He goes, I was not misdiagnosed. I saw, I saw all the scans. I've been healed, and Jesus healed me. Now, that feels like news from a foreign land to us. I'm telling you that where we're going is maturity land. I know that we're going there because Jesus is coming back for a bride who's washed white. And all of our unbelief is going to go. It's got to go. All of our unbelief that's connected to our lack of experience with him, it's going to go because we're going to walk with him in places we've never been before. I just want to speak over you. There's blessing is a skill. I'm going to bless you. Will you receive it? Yes. Okay, put out your hands and show me that you receive it. Because there's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. Okay, I'm just blessing. May it be to every one of you in this room that want it, may it be to you that the narrow path in front of you that ends up with you looking exactly like your big brother and doing things that are greater than the things he did, may that road start opening up for you. May your belief even outstrip your own understanding. May you attain things in the spirit that you do not understand with your mind and go, I can't even explain what just happened to me, but it was the spirit of the living God. May his goodness be visited on you right here in the land of the living, not in the sweet by and by here. May the things that you're asking him for, may you hear his response and may you know what your father says. I bless every one of you with faith to believe that the words of God that we've talked about tonight would sink deep, deep in your heart like good seed that falls into good soil and produces a crop 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. The parable says that that man woke up and there was fruit and he didn't even know how it happened. But that thing had started to spring forth in him. I want you to say this with me in your heart right now. God, I believe your word, or, or let's just ask for it. God, I'm asking for the faith to believe your word even above everything that I've ever seen or thought. May you all experience the very thing that Jesus died to afford you, which is salvation, healing, and deliverance to the very uttermost. Not saved a little bit, not a sweet little taste, saved to the very uttermost, experiencing his goodness right now. Lord, as we open up our hands, what we want to say to you is that we receive all of you. Especially the part we don't understand. I'm sure that's the good part. I want all of you. I want the mystery of you. I want the confounding dread of God. I, I want that. I want the mysterious wonder and ecstasy of your presence where there is fullness of joy. I want your presence, Lord. I want to walk in the ways that you have for me. I want you to speak to me. I bless these people that over this semester, as they open up their mouths to you, you will fill up their mouths with yourself. Nobody would get to Thanksgiving and go, well, I gave it a good old shot. I don't know where God was. I ask that you'd meet us, Lord, even this week as these people meditate over these words and prepare their hearts for what you're going to do in them over the next semester. Oh, God, 
This is a stupid little course we put together. We're just trying to connect the dots for people. And I ask that somehow by your majesty and grace, you would breathe life into this thing, that this little container that we've got. I ask that um, drill group leaders would be excellent shepherds. You'd give them such wisdom that they'd be able to push these people towards life and towards grace. I ask that everything that needs to be repented of in this semester, you'd bring it to light. And I pray for all these people that have their hands open right now. Give them, God, the grace to repent of the things that you put your hand on. We confess ahead of time we're going to get defensive and we're not going to want to go there. God, give us the grace to be bold and say, I got to get what Jesus died to give me. I got to have it. Make us desperate. Let us not retreat into entertainment and food and money and stuff. We want to be citizens of the kingdom, not of America, God. Make us citizens of the kingdom. I bless these people. May they get everything that they want in you. And I ask that their appetite for you would be increased this semester, that they would say at the end, I want him more than I've ever wanted him, and I've gotten more from him than I ever got. And it just makes me hunger for more. Bless him, Lord. I could go on. Amen.